Al-Bayan Radio presents the following lesson from Masjid Al-Azhar, Bilmo. Presented by Farhan bin Rafi' Ahmed. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Inna alhamdulillah nahmadu wa nasta'inu wa nasta'gfiru wa na'udhu billahi min shururi anfusina min sayyati a'malina. Ma yahdihi Allah falamudillalah wa ma yudlil falantajidalahu waliyan murshida. Wa ashadu an la ilaha illa Allah al-ahadu al-qahhar wa ashadu anna muhammadan abduhu wa rasooluh. يا أيها الذين آمنوا اتقوا الله حق تقاته ولا تموتن إلا وأنتم مسلمون. Indeed, all praise and thanks belongs to Allah تبارك وتعالى alone. We seek His help, His assistance, and guidance in all things. He whom Allah تبارك وتعالى guides, there is none that can misguide him. And he whom Allah تبارك وتعالى leads astray, there is none that can guide him, except through the will and permission of Allah تبارك وتعالى alone. And I bear witness and testify that there is no deity worthy of worship except Allah and that Muhammad ibn Abdullah ibn Abdul Muttalib al-Hashimi al-Qurashi was the final messenger and prophet sent to all of mankind. O you who believe, fear Allah. Fear Allah as he deserves to be feared. And do not die except in a state of Islam. Do not die except that you are Muslims. رَبِّ شْرَحْ لِي صَدْرِي وَيَسِّرْ لِي أَمْرِي وَأَحْلِلْ عُقْتَةً مِّنْ لِسَانِي يَفْقَهُ قَوْلِي Alhamdulillah, this is lesson 16 in our series Tafsir Unlocked. And today we continue on with Surah Al-Baqarah, the second chapter of the Qur'an. And we are on the third verse of this great chapter. And this verse is a very important verse for us to understand because it goes through very integral concepts, especially the matter of Iman. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He says, الَّذِينَ يُؤْمِنُونَ بِالْغَيْبِ وَيُقِيمُونَ الصَّلَاةَ وَمِمَّا رَزَقْنَاهُمْ يُنْفِقُونَ Those who believe in the ghayb and perform a salah and spend out of what we provided for them. Imam Al-Qurthubi rahimahullah who died in the year 671 after the hijrah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam he says that in regards to alladhina then this is either a continuation of that which came before or it is that of a statement of praise why would it be referring to that which came before what was the verse that we took hudan lil muttaqin right Guidance for the believers, alladhina, those, and then the continuation of this verse. Or it could be that this specific group of people, this is a group of people who are praiseworthy. So it's either as a characteristic of praise, or it's a continuation of that which came before. Imam al-Baghawi rahimahullah, who died in the year 516 after the hijrah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. He says the essence of Iman, belief, is belief and acceptance in the heart. Belief and acceptance in the heart. And he says in the context of the Sharia, however, it is three things. Iman in the context of the Sharia is three things. What is it? Al-i'tiqadu bil-qalb. The belief that is maintained in the heart. The belief that one holds in his heart. وَالْإِقْرَارُ بِالْلِسَانِ And the utterance of it upon the tongue. 
The first is the belief, the aqidah in one's heart. The second is what? The utterance of it upon the tongue. And the third is وَالْعَمَلُ بِالْأَرْكَانِ And the actions of the limbs. Now Imam Al-Tabari rahimahullah who died in the year 310 after the hijrah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he says that Iman itself is an umbrella term. Things come, things come under this term. And what comes under this term Al-Iman is that it covers the belief in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala his books, his messengers. And he says, and it means acceptance and affirmation through action. Acceptance and affirmation through action. Now what this means, both of these statements that we have taken, is that no one can that they are a true believer if they just say, it is in my heart. God loves me. In my heart. I love Allah. I love the Prophet. I love the Prophet. How do you know I don't love the Prophet? And they don't do anything else, right? It's just these blanket terms. Allah is in me, is in my heart. Billahi alaykum, right? How many have seen it or witnessed it or saw something like it? Just hands up. Hekti. Right? That's it. No, you haven't seen it? Oh, okay. You tell someone, pull up. He goes, Wallah, I love Allah. Wallah, you don't know what's in my heart. You've never heard that one? Wow, but this guy's around muttaqeen, bro. MashaAllah. Wowee. Oh, bro. I need to hang around more where you hang around, bro. MashaAllah alayk. Now, he says, I know the Quran is the truth. I know the Sunnah is the truth. I know that Allah is true. I know that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. I know all of these things. Allah is in my heart. But why do we say this is not enough? Everyone else is just recollecting, oh my god, that bloke did my head in, remember? This guy is like, he's sitting there and he's thinking, that was a traumatic experience, Sheikh, why'd you bring that up? <laughs> why is this in any statement, don't judge me, it's in my heart, God knows what's in my heart. Why do you think this is? Why is this not enough? Why is it not enough? Because you cannot maintain kufr, you cannot maintain disbelief in your statements, uh, or a lack of action in your day-to-day and still maintain that you have faith. You can't. If you're uttering statements of kufr or you're complete upon disbelief in your ways, you don't make halal halal and haram haram, right? And the bare minimum, then how can you say you have complete true faith? And subhanAllah, what this also shows us is that when someone speaks, that which they say has a direct link with their position of Iman. Because we said, it also covers that which is covered by the tongue. So if someone says something, this can actually affect one's Iman. So you have to about what you say. Yani making a mockery for of any aspect of this religion is disbelief. If someone says something against the Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam, Making a mockery after making a mockery of the Prophet ﷺ, for instance, or his ways, or his marriages, or his wives, or any of the companions, even. If someone says anything against any of the companions, even one of them, this is a form of disbelief. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for his protection. Now, 
this is very important. Why? Is because this is a disputed matter between Ahl Sunnah and other than Ahl Sunnah. This is the matter of faith. Is a disputed matter of if it's just in your heart or not. And this has led some people who went on extremes to go to the extreme of saying, and this is something that's documented, right? That Fir'aun himself was a believer. Why? Is because in his heart he knew that he wasn't Allah. In his heart he knew that he believed in what? The Lord of Allah, the Lord of Musa alayhi salam, Allah. So there have been people in Islamic history who have taken this concept and run with it. And stated that they wanted the iman of Fir'aun. Astaghfirullah. <laughs> because that was firm belief according to them. But it never translated into anything. The belief of Fir'aun. So it was incomplete. Right? So something else that is mentioned by Imam al-Baghawi, rahimahullah, he says that every Muslim, every Muslim, every person who's a Muslim doesn't necessitate that he has iman. He's not necessarily a mu'min always. And every mu'min is always a Muslim. Every mu'min is always a Muslim. But not every Muslim is a complete mu'min. Now I've gone through يعني, this in the hadith of Jibreel السلام, in our previous lessons of the 40 hadith. If someone wants to go into that and what's the bare minimum of having each of the beliefs in each of the pillars, we've gone through that there. So I'm not going to do... Um, يعني, تكرار, we're not going to repeat that Insha'Allah Because some of the brothers here يعني, Went through it with me and That's just for him He's not looking at me But he's wearing a black jump There we go Now <clears throat> We know that action is part of faith Why? How can we make dalil of this? Because there is a hadith that is found in both Bukhari and Muslim Where the Prophet ﷺ, He says that faith itself Iman itself has over 70 branches. Has over 70 branches. And he says its highest point, يعني, the pinnacle of faith, is what? The statement of La ilaha illallah. There is no deity worthy of worship except Allah. Not just a statement, but acting upon it, obviously, and maintaining the statement itself. Because it is a statement that has conditions. That's something on the side. But the hadith continues, and he says its lowest point, the highest point is what? La ilaha illallah The lowest point of faith As mentioned in this hadith That's mutafaq alayh That's agreed upon by both Bukhari and Muslim Is that it is that you remove an obstacle from a path It's the lowest point That's the bare minimum If someone does that They can say that they might have an element of faith And then the hadith continues And he says shyness as well is from faith And it is a branch of faith Now this concept of the 70 branch, over the 70 branches of Iman, there have been a lot of scholars who have tried to gather all of them and <clears throat> quantify each one based off a hadith and verses of the Quran. But the problem is that there is no one hadith that has all 70 in it in, and that's authentic. Right? It's not like, okay, there's over 70 and this is what it is. There's no hadith that quantifies it for us. In one way However Imam Al-Bayhaqi Rahimahullah Has a book called Shu'abul Iman The Branches of Faith Where he goes through Meticulously He goes through And tries to find What quantifies As a branch of faith Or not 
And in the English, uh, there has been a work that has been done long, long time ago, and I think it's the only book in its way. Uh, it's the only book in English that's like it that tries to quantify the branches of faith, which is called, I'm pretty sure, the branch, the branches of faith, the branches of faith, um, and Allah Subhanahu wa Taala knows best. So when Ahlul Sunnah, the people of Sunnah and its congregation, when they say that Iman is in these three things, that it covers the heart, the tongue, and the actions of the limbs. Then it covers a few things. It covers a few things. From them is the belief that you hold in your heart, the i'tiqad that you have, the creedal aspects that you have in your heart, the belief that is in your being. And this is something that is agreed upon with Ahl Sunnah and outside of Ahl Sunnah. Right? The creed aspect of it, that it's in your heart, this is something that everyone agrees upon. What's disagreed upon is generally what comes after. Okay, generally what comes after This is what's disagreed upon But this is what Ahl-Sunnah is upon So the first is the belief in the heart There's, Then it is that the heart acts upon that belief This comes under action Right But it also comes under the first of that which is in the heart So when it comes through يعني, To the actions of the heart Things like tawakkul Things like Tawakkul, when your reliance is upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Things like al-khawf, fear You fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Things like al-raja, when you have hope in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala And other things like it from the actions of the heart From the actions of the heart Then the statement of the tongue The first thing that it covers is the statement of la ilaha illallah The statement that enters you into Islam Right? Which is, there is no deity worthy of worship except Allah. And this is the bare minimum that the tongue needs to do. It needs to, the iman in the heart needs to translate to La ilaha illallah because you can have all of this يعني, iman in your heart, right? Where you believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, His angels, His books, the prophets, the qadr, even resurrection. But if you don't say La ilaha illallah and enter Islam, then you're not a Muslim. It doesn't affect, it doesn't help you in any way, shape, or form. And we have يعني, one of the greatest examples of this is the uncle of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, who was Abu Talib, right? Abu Talib believed in the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. He used to make poetry in defense of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and talk about the beauty of Islam. However, when he came to the deathbed, the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, when he came to the deathbed of Abu Talib. And he said, just say one statement. Say, La ilaha illallah. It will be a word that I can fight on your behalf on the Day of Judgment. I can try to intercede for you. Just say this and leave the rest to me, pretty much. Say it. And then the people around Abu Talib said, are you going to turn away from the religion of your forefathers? Are you going to turn away from the religion of your forefathers? You're going to, really you're going to do that right now? When it matters most? And he refused to say, La ilaha illallah. He refused to enter into Islam. Now, something that is important here is the ending of that hadith that the Prophet ﷺ says that he will be in the hellfire and he will have the lowest punishment of the hellfire and the Prophet ﷺ deemed it important from that which was given to him from the ilm al-ghayb to describe to us what that punishment was. That his uncle, someone who is beloved to him, someone who assisted him, someone who helped him, someone who, yani some of the scholars have said 
that he died because of the malnutrition that he yani, got from being part of the boycott that was placed upon the Muslims. He took it upon himself not to eat and drink, just yani, not live in comfort because that was happening to his nephew. He took that upon himself. Someone who literally died in the path. What was the punishment? The lowest point of Jahannam? That he will be made to stand on rocks that will cause his brains to boil constantly. And that's the lowest punishment. And as someone who's beloved to the Prophet. But this is the meaning of the verse where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he tells Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, you do not guide who you love. Guidance is not in your hands. Guidance is in the hands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Everyone with me so far? Okay. The statement of the tongue, the first of it is La ilaha illallah. But it also has another part, which is to say and do with the tongue that which is not able to be done except by it. I know it's a bit technical. But there are certain things in this religion that you need to use your tongue for. So the action of the tongue also covers. For instance, the use of your tongue in the recitation of the Qur'an, for instance. Or that you cannot enter your prayer except with takbiratul ihram, saying Allahu Akbar. Saying Allahu Akbar over here is a statement of your tongue. That you have to say that when you enter it, you are now not able to leave this prayer. You can't talk to your mate on the side, you can't send a message, you can't look at your notifications, you can't do any of that. So over here, the second part of the statement of the tongue is to do that which has to be done by the tongue and nothing other than it. Right? So, like the recitation of the Quran and entering into the salah with takbiratul ihram. And there are other things, there are other examples like it. As for the actions of the limbs, the actions of the limbs, then it is to do that which is obligatory and also to stay away from that which is haram. To do that which is obligatory and to stay away from that which is forbidden. Now, regarding the mu'minun, the true believers, Qatada rahimahullah, he has a very beautiful statement. And he says, they are, from their characteristics, is that they call on to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala constantly, in public and in private. They call on to Allah from the sifat of the mu'minun, from the characteristics of the mu'minun, of the believers, the true believers, from their characteristics, because they have many characteristics, from their characteristics, Qatada rahimahullah is that they call unto Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala constantly in private and in public until Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala answers them in public and in private. Now, they are dependent on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they are constantly trying to come closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in all that they do. As for the word al-ghayb, as for the word al-ghayb, what's the verse that we're reading with? I just want to see who's awake. Right? As for the word Al-Ghayb, which is translated as the unseen. Imam Al-Baghawi, rahimahullah, who died in the year 516 after the Hijrah of the Prophet wasallam, he states that the Ghayb is all that which is not seen through the eyes. The Ghayb is all that which is not seen through the eyes. That which is hidden from the eyes. And this stems from the statement of Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhuma, who says that the ghayb here is all of that which we have been commanded to believe in from that which has been made hidden from our eyesight. Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhuma, he says the ghayb over here in this verse is 
all that which we have been commanded to believe in, instructed to believe in, from that which has been made hidden from our eyesight. From the likes, he says, the angels, the resurrection, the hellfire, the paradise, the bridge in the hereafter over Jahannam, the Sirat, the scale of the day of judgment, and its likes. Things like that, that are unseen to us, that we are commanded to believe in. Some of the Salaf, like Zir ibn Hubaysh and ibn Jurayj, they gave other examples of what this ghayb is. And one of them, yani the example that they gave, was Al-Wahi, revelation. Now, why? Is because this is something that is unseen. Wahi, revelation from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yani did you see, did anyone see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala giving the command to Jibreel alayhi salam? And did anyone see Jibreel alayhi salam other than the Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam on the day of, on, on the mountain of Hira? And the revelation itself wasn't written down yani by the Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So whatever he said, and said that Jibreel alayhi salam gave this to me, or it was inspired to me, right, by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. No one had the sight of it. It was something from the unseen. And subhanallah, this is why I thought I'd bring this example. There's so many examples that are given by, by, the, by the scholars. But this is not something that you really think about when you think about ilmul ghayb, the knowledge of the unseen. Right? You think, well, what's the first thing you think about when you think about uh, the unseen? Jinn, straight away. It's the jinn and nothing else. It's just the jinn. <laughs> he's looking at, like, he's going through all the jinn videos tonight. He's going through. <laughs> now, it covers a lot more than that, right? There's so many aspects of our faith, which is the belief in the unseen. Right? For instance, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala being a razzaq, as Allah provides for all things. You see it, but you don't. You see it, you see the reality of it in your life, but when a cow eats grass, right? Allah allowed that grass to grow. You don't really see that aspect of it. Do you get what I'm saying? Part of يعني, the bare minimums that we have in our belief is unseen. And that's why this iman that we're supposed to have is something that is very high in nature. And there is a lot of aspects of our religion that we just ingrained from our fitrah to believe in. But this is from the fadl of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because other people look at it and be like, bro, you think that Allah grew this grass? Oh, relax. It's just grass. This is the cow eating grass. But we attribute everything back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That He provides everything for everything. He provides everything for everything. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for an increase in it, Ya Rabb. Now Imam Al-Qurtubi rahimahullah, he says, some of the scholars have stated that the ghayb is that which the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam made mention of that does not necessarily conform to what our minds are upon. It doesn't necessarily conform with the reason of our mind. For instance, same examples generally speaking, from the signs of the hour, the punishment in the grave, the resurrection itself, the bridge of the hereafter, the scale of the hereafter, paradise and hell. Why I wanted to bring this one specifically here is the specific element of the sunnah of the Prophet Yes, the Qur'an is wahi, but also the sunnah of the Prophet is revelation. And we know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says about the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he says, وَمَا يَنْتِقُ عَنِ الْهَوَىٰ إِنْ هُوَ إِلَّا وَحْيُ يُوحَىٰ That 
Rasulullah does not speak from his whims and desires. But whatever he says, whatever he comes with, is divine revelation. It has been revealed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is from the ilm al-ghayb. Whatever Rasulullah has instructed us of, this comes under the ilm al-ghayb. It comes under that which is unseen because it sources Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Ibn Atiyah, rahimahullah, he says that in these opinions that we've heard previously, in these opinions, there is no conflict or contradiction. There's no conflict. How can someone, if someone says, how can it be wahi? And how can it be sunnah? And how can it be belief in the angels? Or belief in Allah? Or belief in, يعني, belief in Allah is a very weak tradition. But how can someone say that it's the Quran? Or how can someone say that it's belief in Qadar? How does, يعني, there's so much conflict here. You've got contradictions in your Quran. You've got contradictions in your tafsir. But over here we say, Ibn Atiyah rahimahullah, he says that in these opinions there is no conflict or contradiction as all of them come under the umbrella term of the unseen. All of them are part of the unseen. It all comes under it. This is just examples that have been given from our ulama about what the unseen entails. And they establish the prayer. They establish the prayer. Imam Al-Qurtubi rahimahullah, he says, you thought I was going to ask, didn't you? You were waiting for it. What year, was he, what year did he pass away? Huh? 671. MashaAllah. Allah Hifadkum, Ya Rab. Imam Al-Qurtubi, he says, the establishing of the prayers is, is very important. This is who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is praising. Right? So we have to understand, we want to be like these people. Right? We want to hold this faith in Al-Ghayb. And now, this is the second characteristic. Okay? What is it? وَيُقِيمُونَ الصَّلَاةِ The establishing of the prayer is... Performing it by its conditions, upon its conditions, in accordance to the method of the Prophet Second thing, in its proper times. Third thing. I want you all to think about that just a little bit. Just a little bit. First thing is what? Praying with all of its conditions. Right? According to all of the conditions of the prayer. And that's a mas'ala of fiqh. Go study it, take it. What's the conditions in the, of the pillar? What's the pillars and the conditions of the prayer? That's something there. According, according to the method of the Prophet according to how the Prophet prayed, don't pray as anyone else prays and think, prayers in my heart. Wallahi, that one burns me. That one burns. Have you heard that one? Prayers in my heart. I don't need to pray because I, I pray in my heart. I pray. I like job. I get the hell out of my face. I pray in my heart. Wallahi. Pray. The Prophet said, Pray as you see me pray. As you have seen me pray, that's how you're supposed to pray. That's the only prayer that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants to see. Okay? Now, so the first is, you pray according to its conditions. The second is, in accordance to the sunnah of the Prophet The third is, in its proper times. In its proper times. You could do, be doing all the raf'ul yadain, you're making sure your finger is pointed up like that and... Like that, right? Making sure, but you're praying Fajr at like 1 p.m. Alright, because there's like a bunch of haters on the prop, you have no valid excuse. You didn't come out of a coma, right? Like praying according to the method of the Prophet necessitates that you're praying on time. Praying on time. Brothers and sisters. Praying on time is not an option. It's not like, pray on time, I get extra rewards. You know what I mean? 
You're not doing anything better if you pray on time. That's what's required of you. That's the bare minimum that you do. What's better is when you pray within that time. If you pray before, yani the earlier part of the prayer, that's the best time. After the adhan, straight after it. Right? There's differentiation in the actual time itself. But nowhere in fiqh or in this religion is that if you pray on time, it's like better than. No, if you miss your prayer, you're in dangerous waters. You're in very, very dangerous waters. It's not a joke. If you miss your prayer on time with not a valid excuse, that prayer is gone. It's gone. It's finished. Then you pray qada. Right? You pray something which is not even going to get you rewarded for that prayer per se. Because that time, in salata The prayers were established upon the believers upon fixed times. Okay? You miss that prayer. Why do you do qada? Right? Why do you do your qada? So that you don't, you know, it's not really necessarily making up for it. Because making up necessitates that you get your reward. Right? So for instance, someone who doesn't fast in Ramadan, for a valid, legitimate reason, he makes up those fasts, and it's as if he fasted in Ramadan. If you were sick in Ramadan, right? And you couldn't fast. You make up your fasts after Ramadan, and you get rewarded as if it is Ramadan because you have the valid excuse and this concession by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make it up. But over here, when you miss your prayer, you're not making it up. You are hoping to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that He doesn't punish you for missing that prayer. But you're not going to be rewarded as if you prayed that prayer. It's just, it's filling that blank. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for His protection, Ya Rabb. Now, Umar radiallahu an, he would say about the prayer, he says, whoever establishes the prayers and takes care in maintaining it, then he has maintained his religion. If you establish the prayer, take care in establishing the prayer, and maintaining the prayer, then that is your religion and you've maintained it. It's going to be easy to maintain everything else. Wallahi, يعني, tried and tested. You miss Fajr, the rest of your day is meh. Meh. And it only happens when you start praying Fajr on time. Then you feel the difference of not praying Fajr on time. Wallah. That your day is just absolutely just next level, just no barakah. You feel it. You feel it. That there's no barakah in your day. Everything just becomes hard. Everyone that you deal with becomes sa'abin. It's just everyone just turn, flips a switch. You didn't pray Fajr. You caused it. You caused it. Right? So he says anything that you do. If you, يعني, whoever establishes the prayer and takes care in maintaining it, then he has maintained his religion. And he says the flip side is true. And whoever is loose with his prayer. Right? If he's... Loose with his prayer He doesn't maintain it He doesn't uphold it Then whatever other than it From the religion He is more and more lost in it So if he's loose in, loose in his prayers Then everything else in the faith After that He's going to be loose in it as well And we have to keep reminding ourselves My brothers and sisters Is that the first thing That you'll be asked upon On the day of judgment Is going to be about your prayer And the Prophet ﷺ, He says that If that is good Then every question that comes after it Is sorted You're good you're okay. He's going to take care of you. But if there is hardship in your prayer, there's like a very big يعني, miss, a very big loss in your prayer. If a lot of it is missing, a lot of it isn't on time, a lot of it you're praying properly, then every other question after that is going to be difficult for you. 
And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is starting off with that which is the most important to him over here with the prayer. And that is between the rights of you and Allah. As for the rights between you and the people, what's the first thing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will ask about? Bloodshed. Killing. First thing that will be asked about will be about blood. Was blood spilt unjustly? And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to protect us, Ya Rabb. Now, as for salah, in the Arabic language, in the Arabic language it has a few meanings. As-salah itself in the Arabic language has a few meanings. The first is a dua The first meaning of as-salah is a dua Supplication. And this is used in the Quran and it's used in the Sunnah. In this way, as an Arabic word. As an Arabic word with an Arabic meaning. Because the connotation necessarily is not always the five prayers or the nafil prayers, qiyamul layl, it can also mean dua. And one of the examples of this is found in Sahih Muslim, where uh, that Asma radiallahu anha, she gave birth to Abdullah bin Zubayr radiallahu anhuma, and when he was born, she sent out to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam so that he could attend this birth, yani after the child was born. And Asma radiallahu anha, she says, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam wiped over him that he prayed over him would be over here Which is what you necessarily do to a dead person But over here it means that he made dua for this child He made dua for this child Now there is also another definition that's found in the linguistic meaning of a salah And this is mentioned by Imam Al-Qurtubi rahimahullah This is mentioned by Imam Al-Qurtubi rahimahullah and those before him also Regarding as-salah I'm going to ask you two boys to tell me what this meaning is Antuma Khalas Having a mad chat Wallah, mashallah alaykum Now This definition is found where? Imam al-Qurtubi rahimahullah mentions it And it's a definition of what word? That's just for you to revise, ya Allah That is ar-rahmah The meaning of as-salah is ar-rahmah Which is mercy and blessings Mercy and blessings Why is this important? Because you say this every day Every single day What do we say? Allahumma salli ala Muhammad Allahumma salli ala Muhammad Right? Oh Allah, send your blessings upon Muhammad Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam And what is more important than this Allahu alam Is to explain the verse where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says, إِنَّ اللَّهَ وَمَلَائِكَتَهُ يُصَلُّونَ عَلَى النَّبِيِّ Indeed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the angels send their blessings and salutations to the Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam upon the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Over here, the angels and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala are not praying towards Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Which is yani, actually yani, Some of the kuffar have tried to use this As some sort of contradiction And trying to claim some sort of Trinity in the Islam To say that look Allah worships Muhammad, Muhammad worships Allah See how uh, he works. Right? It's like you're a bunch of retards right? like, So They try to justify it or some, it's, I don't even know right? So over here it's very important to know that Salah has the meaning of what? 
What's the word? Into. Huh? Two? Ar-Rahma. Ar-Rahma. Even when I gave it to them. Ar-Rahma. Ar-Rahma. That salah means also in the Arabic language as Ar-Rahma. Now, in this verse, is this just referring to the obligatory prayers? If you just pray your five and you're done, you think you're going to be part of this specific class of people. Right? Is that, no, hey, there's a strong, nothing else is wajib on you, you know what I mean? Uh, let's just be honest. <laughs> so over here, Imam Al-Qurtubi, rahimahullah, he says that this is referring to both the voluntary prayers and the obligatory prayers. Imam Al-Qurtubi, rahimahullah, he's saying that over here, الَّذِينَ يَقِيمُونَ الصَّلَاةِ Right? Those who establish, right? The, uh, those who establish the prayers, is establish the prayers that is in, what? That is obligatory, and that which is, Voluntary. وَمِمَّا رَزَقْنَاهُمْ يُنْفِقُونَ رَزَقْنَاهُمْ and from and they spend from that which we have given them. They spend, right? They give. رَزَقْنَاهُمْ Imam Al-Qurtubi rahimahullah he says أَعْطَيْنَاهُمْ that which we have given him, that which we have given them, that which we have given them, and the rizq itself he says is that which can be benefited from. Anything that you can benefit from, Allah has given it to you. Anything that you can benefit from, that is counted under risk. It's not just money. Your health is risk. You benefit from your health. You're able to do things with your health. Right? It's not just money. Your family is a benefit for you. Your wives and your spouses are benefits for you. Risk is not just monetary. Just the ability to go to the bathroom, akramakumullah, is a mercy upon you, is a risk upon you. That you're able to do things in a normal functioning way. This is all part of the risk of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala upon you. Now, yunfiqoon, Imam al-Qurtubi rahimahullah, he says, yukhrijoon. That which they give out. That which they give out. That which they bring out, as you might know. Right? Yukhrijoon, that which they take out. Now, there are various opinions regarding this. Is it just zakah? Is it the money that you spend on your wife? Right? Because that's يعني, the best thing that you can spend on after your zakah. Or is it just general sadaqah? What is it? Imam al-Qurtubi rahimahullah, he says that this is general and not specific. Which means that it covers both zakah and that which is optional. So if you want to be part of this great class of people who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala praises, then it's, يعني, you are not of those who are bakhil. You're not miserly. You spend on your wife, you spend on your children, you spend on... That which is charitable as well. Okay? A lot of people complaining. I'm not going to say who. Um, with that, brothers, I want you just to focus on يعني, one thing, which is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He says, Mimma, from that which we have given, which we have blessed them with. Okay? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala didn't say, and given all that we have given. He says, from that which we have given. What's the difference between the two? The first is that you, whatever Allah has given you, you have to give back in charity, or you have to give that back in sadaqah, and you have to give back in zakah. If Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said, had, if, had he said that they have to give, the muttaqun are those who give everything. Right? It means that to be part of this, you have to give everything up. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants some of it. He doesn't want all of it. He wants to, for you to have. No point, no, no, no issue. For you to have, no problems. 
but he's asking you to sacrifice. Right? And يعني, we know يعني, the famous hadith of the companion who was dying and his deathbed, he said, I want to give everything that I have away. And Rasulullah says, No, 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 you have a daughter, you have to give something to your daughter. And then he says, Okay, let me give يعني, all my wealth first he started, then he said, Let me give half. Let me let me give two thirds, sorry. Let me give two thirds of my wealth first. Two thirds of my wealth, and I'll leave her, right? A bit. And the Prophet said, No. They said, Let me give half of my wealth away. Charity. He wants to do charity. He's on the point of death. And the Prophet said, No. And then he said, Let me. How about a third? The Prophet said, You can give a third, but a third is too much. A third is still too much of your wealth. Prophet is instructing us over here through this hadith of how much we're supposed to give. It's consistency. It's not just one bank hit and that's it, you're done. It's consistency. And the amount that we're supposed to give in zakah is so, it's peanuts on the dollar. It's 2.5%. 2.5%. It's not that much. When you think of, you just had 97, يعني, what, 90, math, 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 math. 97.5. 97.5. Right? He teaches math, bro, mashallah. He's got a big, bigger beard than he has a brain, wallahu alam. <laughs> mashallah alayk. Big beard, big brain, big beard. Now, something over here, يعني, someone, oh, this, someone sent me a video. Um, and it was about um, one of the, you know, remember Blockbuster back in the day? Mm-hmm. Block, what is it? Blockbuster. Oh. When يعني, the subscription model was coming out for movies, right? Um, I don't know how fact- factually true this is, but <laughs> someone just sent me this. But the guy was, he, he, he was talking as if he knew what he was talking about, you know what I mean? <laughs> so let's just go with it. But, anyways, when Blockbuster, يعني, when they were in their peak, right? So what happened was, that they were like, let's just trial this subscription model, right? And then Netflix had started and the whole shebang. But they were hesitant to do يعني, a subscription model like this because 12% of their income was through late fees. So they didn't want to miss out on 12% of their يعني, earnings, right? By offering this new service of subscription where you could have unlimited access but you have to pay a monthly fee. They were worried about the 12%, but they lost 100% of their business because they didn't go along with it, right? So in the grand scheme of things, 12% is better than having zero, right? 12% of something is, yeah, is better than 0%, you know what I mean? Like, let's just be honest. So they lost their whole amount. Now what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is asking from you is you keep 97.5% of your cash with you, your income with you. You keep it. 2.5%, that's all he's asking. 2.5%. That's all you have to do. And when, bro, the amount of questions, people trying to get out of zakat, unbelievable. Unbelievable. Right? But a sheikh, I only had it for 11 months. If I spend it now, do I still have to pay? Wallahi, wallahi. It's like, sheikh, I've only had it for 11 months. Can I still get it? If I spend it now, is it, is it counted? We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to forgive us, to rectify our affairs. Barakallahu feekum. Next week, inshallah, we continue. And we'll take, hopefully, more than a verse, but can't promise it, inshallah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. This program was presented by Al Bayan Radio, the voice of Ahlus Sunnah wal Jama'ah.